Hello there. Welcome to Podrick the Podcast, the incremental podcast that adds even more value. Today's episode is quite special, as this will be the last episode of our series We're All Mad Here. In today's episode, I got to interview Hadar Telem, Director of Analytics at Huge Games. Hadar is awesome and extremely knowledgeable about performance marketing at scale in a continuously changing world. We spoke about tracking, measurement, influencers, folk singing, and whatnot. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with her, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. Hey, Hadar, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here. You know, um, you're going to be the last interviewee for this series. Um, so after, this is going to be episode 26, I think. Um, after this, we're going to go on a hiatus um, somewhere in the Maldives. Um, take some time and start a new series. No, not really. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a real honor. So thank you so much. Um, do you want to give an introduction on yourself? Who are you? Um, how you even um, got to where you are? Um, feel free to go lengthy. Sure. So I'm the director of marketing analytics at Huge Games, as you said. Um, I got here after several years in the industry. I actually started my high-tech journey, I can say, in Veronis as a productivity analyst, where I worked during my BA. Um, and after I graduated, I started working at Aditor. Um, Aditor is an agency or was an agency that helped, uh, did marketing for gaming companies such as Playtica. I was a search media buyer actually at that time for almost a year. This was in 2016, so it was before UAC campaigns. Uh, actually, a lot of display and search and bidding and uh, all everything related to that. It was uh, rather interesting. And almost a year later, Platica acquired Aditor. And then I moved back to my kind of analytical uh, hat. Uh, and I started working there as the first uh, marketing business analyst in Platica because it wasn't in a marketing structure at the time. Um, and after two years in Platica, I moved to um, huge and I then kind of moved my way up to now being uh, the director of uh, marketing analytics. I'm at huge for I would say turning into closer to four years now. Um, I'm now managing a department of uh, business analysts um, helping the team strive and make uh, better decisions. I deal with everything related to attribution, measurement, reporting, dashboards, um, how analytics can really improve the lives of media buyers, um, marketing managers, and general management and the world. <laughs> I, have two, I, two, I have like two related, but like off, off topic questions. Uh, do, do you still run campaigns yourself? No, I don't you... run campaigns. I never run campaigns as an analyst. Okay. And, and you mentioned earlier, like, so you mentioned UAC and like the days before UAC. Like, do you prefer those days where you really manage to like control the campaigns, the keywords, the bids, or do you prefer the USC? Here's a campaign, Google make it work. Well, I like the challenge specifically myself. That's also kind of why I uh, always um, really liked being an analyst. Um, and I like it more than I liked being a, a kind of CPC campaign manager. It's different challenges. Uh, being a media buyer was super challenging also, but from different aspects. I like the challenge. I think that also specifically in marketing analytics, which is different from product analytics, 
you have to be like very, very technical into details. Um, and I think that that's what I like and that's what I love. So of course I would prefer that and not universal. And what, what did you study by the way? So what, what brought you into marketing analytics? I studied uh, business management. I actually have two degrees, uh, one a BA and an MBA with thesis. In um, like, it was a combination of marketing and information systems in both of the degrees, I can say. The thesis was actually more about marketing. Um, I did it via uh, or through the years of uh, Platika and have uh, in huge. I, fin I graduated or finished my thesis actually during COVID. Um, which was <laughs> crazy times. Um, so these kind of areas where I learned deep marketing aspects, as well as technical details of how to look at systems and how to look at information um, systems and how to look at uh, databases and all of this. And I started SQL on my own. Well, by the way, it's, it's crazy because uh, uh, like both Platika and Huge, it's like two companies that could technically be the ones giving the degree and passing the courses when it comes to marketing, marketing management, marketing analytics, and so on. And that's true. Did you feel like, again, some of what you learned like in academia actually was really transferred to your day-to-day -day or vice versa? I would say that most of the learning was actual during the job, I would say, in marketing analytics uh, itself. But I do think that the actual degrees uh, gave me tools to do research properly. This is especially the thesis. I think uh, how to go to kind of a methodological, methodological way into um, questions and how to ask um, questions and how to look at things and how to measure. I think this is like the scientific um, method is more from the degrees. Um, but, and also courses of general marketing that I think is super helpful, such as consumer behavior and, and also an in information system, understanding network behavior. I think those things really help me, but most of the work is, uh, learned via the, the role. Yeah. Same for me, by the way. <laughs> um, now, um, like a couple of other questions. So huge games is. It's mega successful and uh, so Platica was like, is uh, also mega successful but looking at huge like what do you think are like the what makes it so successful what makes it super successful would be the the people who make it and the social element of the games i think if i go to the social element of the games uh the fact that you have for example in huge casino and billionaire casino you have clubs where players can uh, connect to each other and they have uh, um, social tasks together and they do things and they have something that keeps them in the game and keeps them connected to other players. I think this really engages users. And I think this is something that is uniquely special about uh, the games that Huge uh, makes. And if I go to the kind of people aspect, um, Huge has such amazing people and culture um, that is making people curious all the time and people are super professional and super kind. And I think this is what makes a uh, huge special. And I think this is what makes it strive. Cool. And then, uh, so Adar, what piece of advice would you give anyone trying to enter like our space or you're not, let's go for either marketing, marketing analytics or UA in a fast paced gaming environment. Um, what advice would you give them? 
newbies? Well, I'll tell them first, welcome to the industry. <laughs> You're going to have one hell of a journey. Um, and the best advice I would uh, give is to always learn, um, always know that there are uh, changes and be ready for making changes and adapt your way of work and adapt to the way of thinking and make sure you're always surrounded by people you can learn from. And this industry is stuffed with people who are so smart and so talented. And I think that uh, everyone who is getting into this industry, whatever company it is, uh, will learn from others and will have amazing people to work with. Because this is something that at least goes with me across all the companies I worked at so far. <laughs> Um, so always learn from others. And I think also the other tip I can give is to also bring from yourself. I think this industry really encourages um, people's abilities, people's knowledge, people's innovation. Uh, there is always room to innovate and there is always room to influence. So who, no matter who you are and what role you have, uh, junior as you are, if you have ideas, suggest them or ask questions and try to always learn. And maybe the last thing that I would uh, um, give as an advice is um, to try to understand how things work. I think that marketing um, specifically or marketing analytics for sure, but every aspect of marketing, everything related to measurement, I think that people who enter this industry and really try to understand and learn about the processes themselves um, how attribution works, what do we measure, what things um, have changed during these years, what is about to change. I think that people who actually try to learn that and get it will be so much more professional at what they do. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes the, obviously, again, companies in the industry, like specifically vendors, also like referring to incremental there, companies indeed want to try to simplify things so that the customer, the user, basically understands what they're looking into, even though it's mega complex. And recently, one of the gaming companies, like a big one we're working with, they switched from a just to apps layer. And the team had no idea why all the attribution is different. And oh, no. I, yeah, and then I just guided them through, okay, fingerprinting on, fingerprinting off, this is what it means. Autobot detection on, autobot detection off, this is what it means. And then there is like the, the last, touch point lottery where companies or sometimes again people don't understand that this is like a configurable but when it's not configurable you're essentially bound to this company decided that if a click comes with an ip only but a view came with an idfa that will get the attribution while another mmp decided differently so it's just not going to be the same and i actually very much relate to the point that like don't like people should not take anything it's like an for obvious, granted. yeah, exactly, for granted or for an obvious. And I think that sometimes, by the way, people who are new in this industry that come with what they consider as like dumb questions, dumb questions are the best. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I think also in MMPs, this is super tricky because uh, MMPs have so many different ways of kind of to, to decide on what is the attribution. They have different defaults. And even if you choose a similarly same default, it may vary. 
And it like it could be even the difference between how what is your starting point? Do you start at uh, day zero or do you start at day one? There could be so many kind of differences if you are looking by last login of a user or if, do you look by uh, the install date of a user? This could be like somewhat confusing things and you have to really get into the details. I'm not saying that every media buyer should get into all of these details, but I think that those who do will be exceptionally great. I would say someone in marketing analytics, okay, specifically in mobile companies, should get that an MMP install is not an install. Yes, it's a first of open. Of course, that's something <laughs> that uh, we are we are kind of the barriers of this kind of knowledge base and like try to be you know the pioneers of this knowledge base would be a better word, but like to understand what is the difference between logics and to understand what is an install and what could be the difference in uh, definitions of install, even within organizations, it could be different, even kind of uh, within the same product, it could be different. It's kind of, I, I do not have experience with everything, but I know always to watch out you know, it's like, it's funny, one of the, like a few years ago when I was still heading Uplift, I was in this like random community, not, not industry meeting with one of the MMPs where they were talking about standards and industry standards. And I really appreciated that. And one of the things I commented within their deck, the docs they created this like Google doc um, was, uh, yeah, change the term install to first open. And let's change the term CPI to cost per first open. That was apparently so controversial, like no one, no one wanted to touch it, basically, even though it was, it was correct and it was yeah. just factual. This was like very controversial, apparently, which again, I think back then, like I, I understood that maybe I'm too naive in sometimes making comments or suggestions that for me look very obvious, but essentially there's a lot of like the reasons why companies would not want to go that way. Because it's much easier to essentially sell to the common user. Yes, you're getting an install, even though it's yeah. not really. I think the most important thing is uh, for every organization is to align on their own lingo and understand what everyone is referring to. One is uh, talking about first open, first launch. If you're talking about device, if you're talking about account, it, it could there could be so many differences. Adara, I have this generic question that I always ask in this series, and I'm going to ask you the same. Also, since again, this is an honor, this is you're the first, last interviewee for this series specifically. Do you consider marketing more of an art or a, or a science? Well, it's a good question, and I think there are many answers to that. I think the the simple answer would be both, but maybe you're not going to agree with me. But I think that even science requires some form of art to be really successful so like even if you're doing a scientific method you have to ask um, creative questions in order to get to real groundbreaking results and if you are doing also if you try to investigate why so something happened or if you're trying to i don't know invent something that will change people's life or invent a cure for something even if you're a pure scientist, you have to be creative. And moreover, in marketing, where, of course, science is requested, data is super important, uh, but you have to be creative in what you ask. You have to be creative in finding new ways to improve your results or to kind of um, tackle or get to new players or users or to reactivate users. There is a lot of room for creativity but you have to be um, reliant on data.
which is science. Okay, I'm touching the data point. So ATT, IDFA deprecation, privacy sandbox, these moves that basically only like happen slash happening um, in the last 12 months, like pretty much shook mobile marketing. Um, how did you prepare to any of these? So as you said, it's still ongoing. Um, so his preparations uh, still uh, continue, I would say, but uh, um, before ATT or iOS 14, uh, we actually took this as a company project. Um, we took, we had kind of an iOS 14 task force where we involved people from the product team and developers and marketing. And we took it as a kind of a very seriously to be super compliant, to understand what is the change happening, how we can get kind of a, users to consent. Uh, at the beginning, we there wasn't kind of clear guidelines as what uh, exactly is allowed and whatnot. So we were really, really onto the rules and we really tried to understand what is the best pop-up. And we looked at use cases from the industry. So it was a really interesting kind of exercise as a company. And uh, we really worked together on that, which was really cool. Um, and I think it helped us kind of get to really, we were really ready as, as far as anyone can be ready. Wow. We were, um, I believe it's, uh, it's still a challenge, of course. No one will say it's easy. It's not easy. We're all uh, kind of learning how to, how to adjust to those changes. Um, in marketing side, we also kind of, uh, of course, prepared all those scan schemas. We are uh, constantly working on improving them and try to understand uh, what would work best and what is kind of um, when, when to change the schema is also a challenge kind of if it works, maybe uh, we should keep it because we don't want to lose the data for three days. But uh, if it doesn't work, like when to change it, it's a, it's a content, constant um, kind of challenge, but it's super interesting. And I think it's uh, something, something that really shows the value of kind of uh, having a marketing analytics team. And uh, that's something that, um, like in order to kind of be prepared, we are kind of constantly working on seeing kind of what's new, what's changing, what to be expected. And I personally, I speak for myself, but it's something that is super important to me um, to be always kind of knowing what's, uh, what's coming and what's new and how to kind of think of ways that are kind of really privacy first um as a company of course also and it's something that i really try to find new solutions and new ways and i'm testing as much as i uh, as much as i can in the company of course as well <laughs> oh by the way out of all the interviews i did and plus i think all the i don't know hundreds of demos i've done in the last year plus it honestly does sound like you're the only company that's really invested time and resources to try to get as much prepared as possible I, and i'm not joking and i'm not exaggerating which is really cool that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> cool to and me it sounded think... obvious so i don't know exactly what other companies are doing i know that many other companies like i i have friends in other companies and we see like also as part as well checking what's new i'm trying to see what others are doing so i know that there are many kind of colleagues who are also working uh, extremely hard to be always on pace, but it's nice to see that uh, <laughs> we're yeah. advanced. And by the way, when it comes to um, privacy sandbox, are you like active on proposals as well, or mostly as a follower on what's going on, what's the latest, and so on? The same preparation. 
So far, we're more of followers. Uh, I think the beta is supposed to be released at the end of the year. So I personally look forward to seeing what, what it will look like and uh, seeing actuals, because I think also like, like in ATT, we were pre prepared as much as possible in every technicality and every kind of business aspect as we could. But until you actually see the data and until you actually uh, kind of uh, see the actual change, you can't really do everything on your end. So I, as same thing as a privacy sandbox. So as soon as we have something to see and deal with, we will be able to learn and kind of uh, see how we can adjust. But definitely the mindset goes there. I think though, again, there's a huge difference, of course, between how Google is going at it and how Apple went into it, which was like night and day. Here's a lot of documentation forum communities you can consult with. Here's SK Editor 2.0, good luck. Um, yeah. Which was basically not far from. And again, there was like, you know, I think there are some like people in the industry also on some of the Slack channels I'm like enrolled with, and I think you're the same as well, who are very active, also like active, like to explain and to um, like explain uh, everything they understood, test they've done, and so on. Gadi from Singular, I really appreciated what he did when it came to explaining SKN work, work uh, to the world. Um, Jumping into another question, it's Incremental's podcast, I'm going to ask you, um, how do you define incrementality in marketing and do you think it is the holy grail of marketing results? As I told you, I'm really focused on understanding what's next for marketing analytics. So I've talked to many companies and I can say that the definition of incrementality really varies. Uh, incrementality, MMM, all of these kind of, uh, which I'm not sure how how big is the is it as a buzz or is it really uh, something that's happening um incrementality and it, in its basic form is to see a lift um of some activity over the other or to see like an actual impact um of a business based on a specific action taken in marketing if i need to kind of define it um in a in a way um it, do I think it's the holy grail? I think it's super important, uh, but as I see that, it is a decision tool, a very good one for strategic decisions, um, such as a budget optimization. And I'm talking about the incrementality that you propose because it could vary. <laughs> so the incrementality that incremental uh, proposes, basically I see that as a very good decision tool um that helps kind of making strategical um, decisions about uh, budgeting about kind of uh, even setting some goals in a channel level or media source level but it's not going to replace in my opinion uh not attribution and not the mmp so i i see that as a decision tool that is super crucial in this new privacy reality Oh, and I appreciate it, by the way, I think it's uh, crystal clear and actually we're like on the same page um, and what did I wanted to say? I am in the process actually to create this like white paper to try to help people understand what is the difference between incrementality measurement and MMM because right now that's where people get confused the most and of course I would also include last touch MTA attribution MMPs in this white paper because it's like I think again, we are like in this transition era and transition eras are the most confusing. Like no one understands what the difference is. It's like, oh, we're already using Facebook's Robin. So we're good. We don't need this. 
that's like completely different. It's like you know, you're using a scooter and saying that you don't need an umbrella. Um, the two have nothing to do with one another. Um, again, there is, of course, an overlap, but it's a tiny one. Um, I'm going to jump into the lightning round. So lightning round, I'm going to throw topics, terms at you just to hear your kind of like opinion. It can be a couple of words. You can go in length. Influencer marketing. Influencer marketing is something that um, is great. I generally like it. <laughs> um, I think it's for, for some companies and for some genres, it is some, something super re relevant, uh, such as uh, RPG games, where you have like heavy influencers that uh, really bring value to the game. I'm not sure it, it is relevant for um, every company in every genre. But I really think it has a lot of potential. And I think also in terms of measurement, uh, that it is um, with tools such as the incrementality, <laughs> I'm here for a reason. Um, I think that even the measurement is uh, being developed and it's getting uh, more and more improved. So I do think it would be a very, very good channel or, or is becoming a more crucial channel for companies with the relevant genres. SKED Network 4.0. Um, SKED Network 4.0. I look forward to it, but I don't get my hopes high. <laughs> um, okay. Um, CPM, CPC, CPI, or CPA? What's your, what would be your go-to pricing model or a payment model for media? It really depends. It's a... <laughs> I'm surprised that you asked because it really depends on the goal and what exactly you're trying to do. If you're trying to get uh, brand awareness and you're trying to get more users to get your uh, brand, so maybe CPC or CPM would be kind of uh, your golden ticket to get there because you don't want to pay for install, you want to pay for kind of exposure. Um, but if you're looking for kind of more uh, value-based uh, users, or if you're trying to bring uh, users who are kind of uh, whales, then of course CPA. And for some general campaigns where you're kind of aiming for us, I would say that you don't want to pay too much. So CPI would be kind of the default um, measurement. You know, actually, so maybe it's, you know, maybe I actually had incremental in my mind years before I started incremental because. For me, actually, the, the go-to pricing model would have always been CPM because I actually don't want to give the ad platforms the postbacks telling them you've generated a user for me because my fear was I'm going to essentially bias the ad network to go and find me the users that are already likely to come to my shop, brand, app, whatever. So in my view, it was always actually more about like CPM. I want the full control over the media. I don't want anyone else like making decisions for me, including Google's algorithms, Facebook algorithms, which probably is like silly. And I haven't done like myself, like uh, performance marketing in like more than 10 years. So speakers. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> um, Adar, what is a random fact about you? A random fact about me is that I'm actually a singer and I also have a folk or indie folk band. <laughs> we just released an album recently, so 
it is quite a, an achievement for me to do that as a really, really, really side job. But this is also something that uh, I really like. Of course, it doesn't pay anything, it just costs, but it is uh, super fun and I really enjoy singing. So I used to, I used to sing classic music, so like opera and uh, stuff like that. And I like Irish music and folk music. So uh, that's pretty random, I guess. That's quite random. Do you perform? Um, now we're working on getting back to performances. I used to perform quite a lot, but not, not, uh, often today. Cool. And Adara, if people want to find you or reach out to you, uh, like ideally not people trying to sell you cheap CPM traffic on premium websites, um, mm -hmm. how, how can they do that? Uh, well, I'm always on LinkedIn. Uh, you can look me up and if by any chance you're in London, uh, next month, I will be speaking at the App Growth Summit at uh, early September. I will That's see you there. there. Yeah, I will see you there. I actually spoke with Luis this morning, um, which was middle of the night for him, but apparently he's trying to adapt to European time zone. So, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So I'm going to see you in London soon. Great. Thank you. Cool. So thank you very much for, uh, for your time, Adar. It's been a pleasure. It's been a super pleasure for me and thank you so much. And I'm really happy to be the last uh, person in the podcast for a while. It's a great honor. Thank you.